I'm excited to bring into the studio the great multi-instrumentalist, composer, and band leader, Michael Lenhart. Michael, how you doing? I'm doing great. Just drying off here. <laughs> yeah. So um, you got a nice stack of music, all kinds of stuff we can listen to, but uh, you wanted to start with uh, Duke Ellington. Mm-hmm. What, what's, what was the idea there? Uh, well, you know, I went to Columbia for a little more than two years, and it's actually where I, in, in this neighborhood is where I met my t- soon-to-be wife. So I can't come up here without thinking of uh, how we met. And one of the first, probably the second and third time that I really saw her, uh, Jamie Lenhart, was in <clears throat> an Ellington class here at Columbia. She was at Barnard. And I came in and I was the guest, not teacher, but the guest lecturer as a trumpet player and as an arranger. And I was I was probably 21 or something. And uh, I sat on the desk, and she remembers it vividly, as do I, and I often tease her about that I was her teacher, which is totally not true. But I came in and spoke about playing the arrangements and working with a lot of musicians. I already worked with a bunch of people who were in the Ellington Band and just had a total love for Ellington's music. So as I got out of the train just 10 minutes ago, the first thing that popped to mind was, oh, we got to play Ellington. And this is from the Nutcracker Suite, Sugar Rum Cherry, which I actually do with my orchestra a couple times a year. Nice. So, who, which Ellington uh, musicians were you associated with, or did you get to work with? Clark Terry. Wow. Um, I don't think, but it wouldn't. Like uh, Frank Foster, Frank West. Uh, let me think. Who else? There are two or three more. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's pretty amazing. So, and and you you were just playing with them as, or or you just got to work side no. by side or study or. or? Uh, I didn't, I, mean, I God, I wish I had studied with Clark Terry, but yeah. the times that I spent with him, he, he played with my dad a lot, and he, there are guys like Lou Soloff and, and other guys who were in um, later iterations of right. the Ellington band, Mercer Ellington, but I'm talking about sort of the original batch. Sure, yeah. Uh, and Clark is the main one that comes to mind, and he was just larger than life, one of the greatest trumpet players ever uh, to walk the face of the earth, one of the most natural musicians, and the thing that I think most horn players strive for is to bypass the instrument and have it be just like a voice. And this sure. is a guy who you knew, his inflections, mumbles, everything. And that's how he was as a person. So I met him when I was probably seven or eight. And, wow. and I wasn't really playing the horn, but I just knew who was this crazy, wonderful guy. And so right. we hit it off from there, and we would see each other from time to time. And looking back, I guess they were quote-unquote little lessons uh, we never sat down, but we'd talk music, we'd talk trumpet, we'd talk horn and sound production, and then we'd just talk nothing. And then I wouldn't see him for a couple of years, and I'd see him again, and, and uh, it just, just stays with me. I mean, it, Right. Yeah. And and Clark Terry was as, his charisma was equal off stage as it was on stage? Uh, in some ways, greater. Wow. Because he, it was it was natural, but that he wasn't acting when he was on stage, but he could play a room of 100 people to thousands. And when he was off stage one on one, it was a quieter kind of tone, but the humor was the same. The concentration, he, the way he would listen, the way he would talk, the uh, he was a gentleman. He was like a father, a grandfather, and an older brother all in one. It, it was amazing. Wow! Know? And every you know every year, the jazz colleges um, produce thousands of very competent uh, musicians, and yet no one will sound like Frank West. No. So, <laughs> I don't know what what were your thoughts and what 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 was what was your relationship with him or how? 
I knew him more through my dad, and I would see him at these festivals down in Santa Fe and other like jazz uh, festivals that they have yeah. once or twice a year in different regions, and people come out. And I just remember him knowing every damn song possible. And he was just a, a font of information. And, you know, he's like the, what Bill Charlap is today, where they just know all these crazy verses. They say, well, actually, that's a nine-bar phrase, not an eight-bar phrase. And <clears throat> he just retained it all, had played with everyone, had played all the songs, had played the original arrangements of them, as well as the updated arrangements. In terms of his tone, I mean, you're right. There are there are maybe people that if they, they could study his tone and phrasing and sound exactly like him, but there's something that's always going to be missing. It's like a fingerprint. It still yeah. fascinates me to this day how no two people really sound alike. Yeah, well, also I think the music was serving a different purpose. So there was like a an element of romance that that people were was essential to, say, the World War II music mm-hmm. that maybe is not really part of the vocabulary or even attempt. You know, maybe maybe, maybe there's something there. There's something... Anyway, so that's that's cool. And, and maybe before we hear this, why don't you tell us a little bit about your dad for the people who are not familiar with My father, who is going to be celebrating his birthday next week, uh, is bassist, composer, songwriter, singer Jay Lenhart, who uh, grew up in Baltimore, moved to New York City in the early 60s, then moved back for two years to Baltimore, and then finally came back again in the mid-60s and was playing with everybody from Oscar Peterson, uh, Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra... Uh, he didn't play so much with Ray Brown, but he was very much under his wing and sort of grew up wow. with that sound, and that was his hero. And wow. he's still doing it all and just, you know. Wow, so you got to cross paths with Tony Bennett? Yes, actually, Tony Bennett. Uh, I later worked with his daughter, mm-hmm. uh, and I have stories about going over to his place, and he was just having breakfast, and he was like, hey, sit down, you know. Um, but I knew him through my dad. I, I believe he was at my parents' wedding. Wow. My dad was playing with him in, in Atlantic City or something. So. Oh, so that's the Godfather scene was based on your parents' wedding. Um, well, I mean, should we play a song? <laughs> Let's talk about that. Yes. Maybe later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's some um, uh, Dance the Sugar Plum from Duke Ellington. Thank you. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
right? That's the Michael Lenhart Orchestra from uh, Sweet Extracts Volume 1, a kind of mashup of two titans of music. <laughs> um, Lords of the Soul. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where we would be without either uh, Ornette Coleman or Spinal Tap. Um, so, well, first of all, let, with you know, I've seen people try to transcribe Lonely Woman, and and then people will say no. Um, they'll always criticize how one attempts to write about the timing of that oh, piece. Oh, I didn't, I didn't even know about oh, that. Oh, okay. I'm glad I avoided that. Or did I pass the test? Well, no, no, no. I have no. Well, I have no idea. No, I mean, I, I just because because it seems like there's something strange going on with the timing, or maybe not. I, I just I think of it as a folk melody. I mm-hmm. think Ornette did in many ways too. Right, and then you just have the band kind of play it freely, or just I. It's directed by me in against the the soloist at the time. Ah. But I think of it as folk music, which can be done a variety of ways. People mm. might take issue with that, but the most important part is the call and response thing, mm-hmm. which um, has to be there. That's interesting. Yeah, I, looking at this uh, Ornette Coleman box set, they. The liner notes describe the whole band listening to Robert Johnson mm. and, 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 you know, being and, and Ornette kind of directing their attention back to the Robert Johnson in particular, just, just being blown away. Um, interesting. And, um, yeah, I mean, yes. big, <laughs> for me, I, the thing that about Spinal Tap is, you know, they they're always one extra step clever. Like if you, you could say, you know, the bigger the waistband, the deeper the quicksand. That's a great lyric. It's a great lyric. But then Gershwin. they say, or so I have read, mm-hmm. which that's that's <laughs> why it's not puerile. Because <laughs> that's why it's not disrespectful. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because then now now they're making yeah. There, there's something flesh tuxedo. Yeah. In the wrong hands that could be crude. Yeah. But but in the, I mean this is now it's it goes all the way back around to profound. But also I I am just thinking this for the first time. But this is it, it's not done. Your friend over here is cracking up. Yeah, she's about to. <laughs> <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> um, as you're saying it, uh, in all honesty, this is not done uh, uh, to be a smart ass. It's right. done totally respectfully. I mean, I love. I genuinely love Spinal Tap. When I've gone through periods where I thought, oh man, the music business is tough, or I'm tough on myself, or this, or you go back to Spinal Tap, it's a crazy, wacky, brilliant film where the guys, it's joyous. It's, and it, and yeah. in my adult life, I've had the f- good fortune to meet some of the guys and uh, the actors. Oh, wow. And uh, where Harry Shearer has become an acquaintance in the last couple of years. He's Amazing. He's a sweetheart. He's a huge Steely Dan fan. And it's been to a couple shows. And in fact, we were playing in, I think, New Orleans two years ago. And I saw him in row seven. And he was not in character, but he had the handlebar mustache. And so while we're playing Peg, I go, oh, man, that's, that's Harry Shearer. And he, no one really recognized him, but I made a note. And we we should playing. say Harry Shearer is the bass player in, in Spinal Tap. He's also the voice behind so many of the Simpsons and... Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Tommy Titan. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so. And he's also got a great podcast. I mean, yeah, I love like the show. So, um, long story short, after the show, after the encore, I saw he was having a hard time. Security was giving a hard, him a hard time getting back. He didn't have the required pass. So I had my horn, and I walked over. I said, excuse me, he's with me. And Harry said, uh, Michael, right? And I said, yeah, come on back. And we started talking, and he couldn't be lovelier. 
And I told him, I said, you know what, my orchestra does Big Bottom, and if you're ever in New York, he said, oh, let me hear it. And uh, the, hopefully we're going to get him to do it with us in character sometime. Wow. So he's off doing his uh, orchestra tour now as Derek Smalls. So, but, uh, but I did it respectfully. I mean, I've read some reviews where luckily they've said this shouldn't work, but it's done elegantly marrying the two. I honestly didn't th- uh, think too much about it. It felt right to me. I went with it. I saw this great transition into Lonely Woman. Uh, there were three threads that connected, and I went, yeah, that's cool, let's do it. Yeah, you know, actually, when I saw your live show, when Lonely Woman concluded, I was like, man, if they go back into Big Bottom, which, in fact, the arrangement mm-hmm. did, um, that was amazing. Yeah, I mean, first of all, like, have you ever had trouble finding the stage? Has that ever happened to sure. you? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, or, uh, you know, if I've gotten you ever... Locked, I've gotten locked in a room and not being able to get out. And maybe some of your, like, uh, some of the stage, um, like... Uh, accoutrements might have been the wrong size so that's right that kind of thing no but also you know maybe there'll be a point that some musician hits rock bottom and then they have a big hit in japan i mean that's yeah. well the, the more realistic one is that little sort of early herpes simplex three <laughs> thing that someone gets and you go hmm are you on my bus tonight because i think i'm i think i'm good i'm gonna <laughs> right 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 and then like in later scenes um other people get that. Mm-hmm. There <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of deep truth, and I'm sure you you probably saw the DVD version, which has a whole other I've plot. Collected plot. Yeah, all okay. the versions from Laserdisc yeah. to VHS, where when they're trying to have a, um, they're they're like having a revival because they get a young, good-looking uh, lead guitarist, and they're yes. and, the, and the band just can't deal with that. Yeah, and yeah. and actually the <laughs> arranger, Lisa Maxwell, who uh, was at that show that you were at, mm-hmm. she worked with them. I think she was playing saxophone in one of the touring versions. And one of my dreams has been, um, if you asked what bands have I not played with that I'd want to, one would be Spinal Tap. Okay, yeah. well, I think I think that can happen. Well, we'll see. You're on your way. Yeah, thanks, so man. so you're at, at, uh, you're at Columbia and... Um, what, what drew you away from the ivory tower here? The road, actually. I had been on, uh, after I went to music and art at LaGuardia High School and, and had won awards. I won a, 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 the Grammy for student high school musician in 92. And then I, after that, I was on the road with Philip Morris, super band, which at the time was not the huge, the big band, but it was the three different groups. And I was in the Young Lions group. Uh, so this was 92. And the master's group, which would go on last in the evening, was Kenny Barron, uh, Jimmy Heath, uh, Donald Byrd, Phil Woods, Kenny, um, Kenny Washington, and Bob Cranshaw. My group was Josh Redman, Krista McBride, Ryan Kaiser, Jesse Davis, myself, um, Louis Nash, and Mike Ledon. Wow. And one of the things that I brought was something that uh, Krista McBride kept on playing and turned me on to which was a Jimmy Heath album called Really Big Band and it's actually like a, a smallish big band but it's a, so I th- the track Nails is a good one to go into and Jimmy uh, was just he reminded me of like Joe Pesci in a great way he was such a you know smallish guy such a firebrand such a sweetheart too and we would listen to this is in the days of you know CD man players when the bus would skip the whole thing would skipped <laughs> so um we would trade cds and one of the things that stuck out with me was this riverside recording of J- the jimmy heath uh, big band it's great 
All right, let's check it out.
All right. We are in the studio with Michael Lenhart and uh, checking out some music of his selections. And also a little bit earlier, we heard his own orchestra, who are doing a big show December 10th at the Jazz Standard. He, he has a residency um, there, but this is a special uh, recording that will go on one of our fellow broadcasting <laughs> stations, uh, MB, WBGO and NPR are going to play it uh, at midnight on the new year. Right. And um, so the residency is once a month? Twice yeah, no, yeah, once a month. Every We try and do it every second Tuesday. Nice. Yeah. And there are easier things in this world than holding together big man. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like a walk in the park. Um, but there's something about the sound that, that you, you For can't. me, it's like opium. I mean, it's really, it really is medicine for my soul. Um, the, first of all, it's family, the great musicians, great players. They're not doing it for the money, so they're, they're doing it for the community and the music. And, I, and my job is to keep it exciting enough that they want to come back. Mm. So, um, you know, we've done shows where I think this is our 14th one we're doing there. I uh, haven't even thought about that yet. Wow. And the trick is to do music that's challenging uh, from time to time, but also do things that if they have to miss a rehearsal, we can still do. That's been the, the tightrope all along. And listening to, you know, when I listen to the, the Jimmy Heath band, it, that you know that required rehearsing, but there's also something short form enough about it. It's, he's got that small group feel with the big band floating on top. And mm. that re- when I first heard that recording, that made me think, oh, yeah, okay, so you don't have to have this behemoth of a, of a thing moving to have a big band. I was familiar with large, large ensembles um, that required exacting uh, re- rehearsal. I knew the Ellington bands, but when I would hear Gil Evans, I went, oh, man, this is... This. And Claude Thornhill, and I thought this is going to have a big band would require weeks and weeks of rehearsing. So the trick for me is how do I keep it going and be able to make it work um, when we can't rehearse all the time. And that's to have a huge roster of players. And also there's something about the Mingus band, how they would have these short-form sort of um, spiritual-type songs where it's not even that they're blues-based, but they could do them. Enough musicians knew them that you'd go in and just play it, and it sounded great. Right. So, do you ever catch them live? Uh, yeah, I try to. I mean, because they're just the night before, Monday. Right, right. No, I meant the uh, when, when he was alive. Was that, was that oh, did I ever see him live? No, I saw no. the Mingus dynasty. Okay. Um, but my dad knew him, and uh, and one of the, the my dad's favorite moments was playing at Bradley's down on University, and uh, he was playing a set with a piano player, um, and he saw that Mingus was there, and Mingus walked up to him and said, "Man, you sound great," and he didn't throw around right. compliments, and he yeah. went, "Oh, more like right oh. hooks." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he went, "Are you, you talking? You mean me?" And he said, "Yeah." So, wow. Yeah. Nice. Well, speaking of your father, there's a track you, you thought we should be checking out. Yeah, I mean, the story behind this is this is um, an arrangement of the song Cherokee by Don Sebesky. And my dad played in his uh, big band for many years. And I, I heard this group probably from 79, 1979 to 85. And it was one of the uh, first live bands. I would hear Thad Jones and Mel Lewis a lot at the Vanguard. Uh, and then I would also hear Sebesky, which was a tighter, more uh, almost not uh, like a studio sounding band, a band where the, uh, the tuning was impeccable. 
And so in my brain, there was this break between bands like Charles Mingus and Ellington, where the tuning wasn't spot on, but it, it took it to another level. You heard a combination of personalities and different types of tuning that would come together to f- form something larger. And then you had different other bands, um, such as Don Sebesky's, Bob Mincer's big band, uh, that were formed of studio players where the writers would would write for something that they intended to be perfectly in tune. So in my mind, I thought, well, how do you marry these two? And in the end, I realized they're, they're very different things. Um, and throughout my life, I've tried to put my love of both. At times, they fought each other. And mm-hmm. I've gone, well, you can't have both. And, and other times, I said, you know, you don't have to marry them. They're, they're different they're apples and oranges. And this is an arrangement of, of Don Sebesky's of Cherokee that my dad has this gorgeous solo on. And uh, it always, I don't listen to it a lot, but it's always in my mental Rolodex. All right, let's check it out.
Music from who was it? Yeah, that's right. Your mind is blown. So <laughs> yeah, um, and that was your father, Jay Lenhart, on bass, which is incredible in a big band setting to have a uh, have the bass stand out. You know, other than Mingus, that's pretty rare that you, that someone says, "Hey, who's that bass player on the, yeah, right. on the <laughs> unsolicited?" You didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Wow, real virtuosic. So. You know, my 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 father was a librarian here at W at um, Columbia University. He's the rare book librarian. Huh. And when I was young, people would say, you know, oh, does he tell does he tell people to go shh? <laughs> you know, so uh-huh. so I never wanted to be part of the <laughs> the family business. Yeah. Um, how how did you feel, uh, you know, about about being part of the the family business? I, well, when I was before I was ten years old. I was drawing and I was playing sports and I was not, I would sing, my sister and I sang on commercials because we had good ear for melody and, and a, you know, we could do it. But then when it was up to me, I was drawing and I was kind of, I had a lot of friends, but I was very introverted. I was not all about music. So that was my own way of kind of rebelling. And then uh, at some point I had tried different instruments, drums and violin, didn't really, didn't stick. And then I started playing trumpet and then it wasn't even a choice. It was. It wasn't family business. It was like a salvation where that anxiety kind of went away. Mm. Um, it was. It was just great. So I didn't choose to go into the family business. It was just this thing that kind of happened to be in the same line. I went, oh yeah. And then uh, my mom is also a beautiful singer. My sister is a, a gorgeous singer. So it was all around us. My mother had the monstrous record collection of old, you know, like crazy vinyl. And my dad um, would answer questions when I asked him about harmony and rhythm and something. You know, so what's the, the seventh and the flat seventh and that's a, a sharp eleven? They go, yeah. And he would just kind of answer these questions and then let me be. Mm. So there was no Never pressure. Like, whoosh, whoosh, right. you know? So it didn't feel like a business. I, I mm-hmm. knew that he loved what he did. So. Awesome. So let's hear something from uh, your... And that's the first album, The Painted Lady Suite. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But what... First of all, I should mention once again that we're listening to Michael Lenhart, and Michael Lenhart Orchestra is going to be playing the Jazz Standard December 10th. It'll be a big show that will eventually be broadcast for the new year, but, you know, we do everything a little ahead of time on on KCR. In fact, you're hearing this four seconds after I I speak. What? Um, Oh, man. Magician. So they're doing it 20 days early. Um, 
Okay, so uh, we're going to hit it right at the top, or is that... Or? Yeah, this is the first uh, part one of the Painted Lady Suite, which is okay. seven movements. Okay. And this is basically about the migration of the Painted Lady Butterfly. Beautiful. All right, here we go.
music from our very special guest, Michael Lenhart. Uh, that was a piece based on the movement of the butterflies. Nice, nice subject, Matt. Migration. Oh, sorry. He said migration. The mic was off. <laughs> yeah. It's a longer story, but it was about uh, on a field trip with my son seeing the painted lady butterfly and just kind of having my brain sparked and going, hmm, this is fascinating. The, the story of their migration right. throughout the different areas of the world is amazing. So, so yeah. So, so you got this uh, steady gig. What, what, else, what else is on your, on your plate these days? I know you're... Always producing a couple different albums. There's I mean, so much more we could play. I was going to bring in some other stuff. Um, um, producing, doing film scores on the road with Steely Dan when we're going out, uh, uh, double bill. Uh, I'm not sure if it's been announced. So I, there's a, a double bill coming up next year that hasn't been announced, so I'm not going to okay. say it, but Steely Dan with another Someone big, yeah, big 70s act. So we'll do five or six weeks. And then um, different collaborations here and there. Uh, you know, it's in this day and age, it's interesting how to make a living in the music industry. So it's always a matter of combining uh, writing, songwriting, arranging, playing live, touring, perhaps teaching or doing master classes. You know yeah. that that joke um, about the guy who has to follow the elephant around at the circus. Uh-oh. You know about this? This could end so badly. So someone <laughs> says. Why? Why you? Why you, you? You could do anything you want. Why? Why are you doing that job, buddy? There's got to be something better than that. And he says, "And leave show business." <laughs> so, <laughs> right, I think of that joke all the time. Yeah. Um. Anyway, great having you. Let, let's let's. Well, thanks for this. having me. Yeah, this was great. Uh, once again, it's um, Michael Lenhart Orchestra. You can catch them the second Tuesday at every month at the Jazz Standard. Uh, yeah, December 10th is is the uh, live taping, and then January 14th is the Brazil Suite. Nice. With, uh, different members, a lot of Milton Nascimento and uh, Georgia Ben and all these different... So I always wow. mix it up and find a different way to push myself past the limit and, and the orchestra as well. <laughs> nice. Okay, that's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, great. So let, what, what should we take a listen to as we... I was thinking Dorothy Ashby, Soul okay. Vibrations. Here we go. And uh, listeners, stay tuned. we got a lot more music for you tonight. Uh, Alexander Tanu is here to talk about Ooh. Ganawa music uh, later in the evening during Ragortal. Um, we have Rupa Mahadevan coming in with a new project. So lots of music to share. And uh, thanks again, Michael. Great hanging with you. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. 